There could be a silver lining here. Look, the Fed's been raising rates consistently. So there's a school of thought that says, well, the Fed was going to keep bumping rates until something broke. Well, something broke. It was Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, they can't keep on pumping rates up after this. And so if that's the case, you know, do you see a environment in Q3 where investors are really excited to deploy, maybe with more confidence in a stable environment than they have had in the last two years? That is the the real grenade in this, which is, you know, magically waving a wand and saying all depositors will get their money back does not change the fact that so many businesses have built their business model on venture debt existing, especially because of what has happened in the venture market and how much more difficult it's been to raise funding. So this is like a double whammy that is going to have reverberations throughout the ecosystem. If there's anything that I'm worried about, it's that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook, and we're recording a special episode of the podcast today exploring the ramifications of the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Obviously, this is wild times in the startup and venture capital market, and we are here with two guests who are going to put this all in perspective, two longtime Seattle venture capitalists who I often turn to when I need need to know what's going on in the market. We're joined today by Kirby Winfield, founding general partner at Ascend, and Aviel Ginsberg, general partner at Founders Co-op. Kirby and Aviel, welcome to the GeekWire podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This has been a wild, what, 72 hours or so. This really started to unfold last Thursday. Here we are on Monday afternoon. You're still standing, but how are you guys doing? I mean, I'll jump in. I think... This whole situation since Thursday has been really fluid. And so every time you feel like you've got a handle on it or you feel like you know how you should be feeling about it or what type of advice you should be giving people, it, something fundamentally changes and you're no longer standing on the same ground that you were when you started analyzing. I was really relieved last night. And then as the day progresses today, I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm also realizing there's a lot of wood to chop and probably the way we've gone about things previously as investors and founders needs to change in some fundamental ways to say nothing of the fact that you know the bank that's extended venture debt and banking services to the technology startup industry for 40 years is gone and and that they you know banked 85% or more you know of startups in our market so i think relief has been replaced with you know a sense of we got work to do yeah aviel how about you yeah just to to echo that i mean it's obviously been been wild, but I think for for us for VCs, even if you're directly affected, I'd say you know personally we were not banking with SVB, but more than half of our portfolio was, and even folks who who weren't were. I mean, li- literally just having to prioritize how do I make payroll on Monday. To, to Kirby's point, there's now so much to unpack here about what are the longer term implications from everything from like you know venture debt to how do we work with banks like svb is a, a unique animal in understanding how these startups work and i think this morning should have felt like a relief of you know suddenly my, i i'm in theory going to get my cash back which for all founders last night i mean the amount of all the group text messages were high fiving emojis like we're going to make it and then this morning feeling like i should not have celebrated because there is a lot that's going to happen here. Um, so I would say it's, it's just been really, really challenging as well because, you know, getting questions, you know, as a, as a VC, 
especially as an operator VC like Herbie, you know, we've been through shit. And so when we talk with founders, we're like, we can empathize with the situation you're in. Here's what I did when I was in something similar. That, that doesn't fly right now. And lots of folks look for that same advice from us. So right now it's about how do I pass good information? How do I not create panic? Um, but how do I also provide value and, and, you know, sort of share like, this is a new experience. I don't know what to tell you what to do. I will just tell you what I know and what I believe the risks are and what you should be thinking about. Yeah. 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 To build on that. I mean, I really feel like it's the only advice I had initially was, uh, Hey, it looks like something really bad is happening, you know, Thursday morning, um, at Silicon Valley bank. And if you're banking there, you should, you know, you should be thinking about alternatives. And, and beyond that, our job, you know, me and Jen at our little fund has just been basically information synthesis. Um, and just trying to stay abreast of all of the different you know, webinars that were happening over the weekend and the, you know, the different information releases from the FDIC um, and all the, you know, I'm sure Aviel's on, on a bunch of these too, the WhatsApp uh, groups with, you know, founders, but also the WhatsApp groups with, you know, people in the Valley who were maybe closer to, uh, to ground zero of the situation and, and just trying to synthesize all that information and then figure out a way to distribute it to, you know, 60 portfolio founders that's not alarmist or disruptive and that's that's actually useful. And so you're not actually able to communicate. We have a Discord, so I guess we were communicating some of it in real time, but really you just try to package up an email, you know, once a day and just hope that hope that you're providing a little bit of a filter on some information. But you know, Tavio's point, we we <laughs> It was pretty helpless feeling as an investor, which I guess you should be used to as an investor, but there's just nothing you could do. I mean, I was like, geez, Louise, these emails keep on coming in and the founders are checking in and they're like, so we're exposed. Here's our exposure. We're exposed. Here's our exposure. We're exposed. Here's our exposure. And I'm like, fuck, man, I'm going to have to pull together a serious summary for my LPs on Monday. Um, and now that now that turned into a postmortem, which is a much easier email to write. Yeah. So Kirby, I guess take us back to that time because I, I think there were two schools of thought on Thursday. There was a school of thought of this is spiraling. It's a death spiral. Get out of Silicon Valley Bank as quickly as possible and preserve your capital. Even move your funds into personal accounts if you have to, whatever, do whatever it takes. And then there was a second group of VCs that were advising, stay calm, we'll get through this. And it's going to be fine. And I'm curious because I think you were in the school of like, you got to bail and get out of this and do everything you can can to preserve your capital. And you took some heat on Twitter uh, around this as well, that maybe even being part of the contagion effect. So do you feel guilty at all for potentially being a part of that? And I know Ascend is a very, very small fund in the grand scheme of things. You're not Peter Thiel, uh, you know, directing billions of dollars. But still, uh, there was a panic effect here that did seem to drive Silicon Valley Bank to where it is today. And I'm curious how you're thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have reflected on it a little bit. And, you know, I, maybe we do punch above our weight in terms of uh, visibility over our asset under management, but I, it came to, I, I, I kind of keep coming back to the same thing. Um, and Aviel and I, I think chatted about this offline during the day on, on Thursday a little bit, and I'm interested to hear his thoughts. But for me, your, your choice was between, as a founder, your choice was between two things, leave your money in Silicon Valley Bank or move it elsewhere. If you move it elsewhere successfully, then you have all your money for sure. 
like a hundred fucking percent for sure. You have all your money. If you leave it in Silicon Valley bank, you may or may not have all your money. You may only have the part that's insured. You may have some percentage of that beyond that gets returned over time. You may, you may have all your money, but you may not be able to get it until you're out of business. So to me, it was, if you're a founder, it simply wasn't, there, there was no discussion. There's no choice to be made because one, one option, you have all your money and the other one is something less than that. And so, and then if you're, if you're a VC, you know, at least in my, in my shoes, because I'm a solo GP, it's easier for me. I feel badly in some ways for these larger firms because they have so much process and so many different jeopardies to try to avoid. And kind of, I've reflected a little bit more on that. And I know it's, I'm sure it's difficult to, to be agile when you, when you have a big partnership and a lot of asset center management. But to me, I felt like, what am I going to be able to tell my investors, you know, my limited partners, you know, come Tuesday, um, you know, did I do everything I could to protect their investment, which is my fiduciary duty as a venture capitalist? And do I believe, you know, that telling people to stay in a failing bank while there's a run on that bank is the best way for me to protect my investors' interests? I keep on, I, I don't, I haven't changed my mind at all. Yeah, it sounds like you do the same thing. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess if you did the stay calm and carry on approach here on Monday, you know, you're 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 feeling pretty good that you would have been guaranteed your money. But on Thursday, it's a different. I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's still. I'm I'm still not feeling good. Like maybe you'll get the money eventually, but today was still a total shit show, and I have concerns about tomorrow and the day after. I mean, we're dealing with companies who have real capital crunches. Like, this isn't an isolated incident. Like, we are going through a lot in the startup industry right now, there's lots of companies who are operating only on, like their only operational capital is debt. Companies relying on debt lines, companies who already are worried about how am I going to make payroll next month? Like we already were dealing with existential challenges. And then you throw this in and that you just, you don't have the luxury um, of, of some absurd moral high ground, which I'm sorry, in most cases, I think most of the people, you know, pushing that agenda were folks who had all of their money tied up at SVB um, and therefore, you know, we're thinking that way. Um, but on top of that, like, I think it's important to not spread rumors. And, you know, I, I know where Kirby and I both got a lot of our early data from, and it was credible before, you know, screaming as loudly as I could, I reached out to the CFO of a many multi-billion dollar company, and he had just pulled out significant nine figures from SVB. And for me, that was enough data to say, get the fuck out. Yeah, and you encourage your companies to do so as well. Correct. And I would say, I would say, there's some there, there's this great concept if you've ever read Annie Duke, or played poker, or, or 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 you know played baseball, or had a kid play a sport. John, like I know your son plays soccer. You t- we talk about process versus outcome, and so I just go back and I look at my process and I say like, did I do did I did I run the right process and did given the information that I had at the time. Right, at my disposal and, and and the situation on the ground, like did I make the right decisions versus the outcome where, thank goodness, it appears that people will be made whole. But that really that really has nothing to do with whether it was the right process. It, it almost seems like ancient history already going back to Thursday. That's how much we've already lived through over the last few days here. I do want to talk about kind of where we're headed, what this means, the changes this might be bringing to the startup and venture capital ecosystem. And I guess as a first question, I'm just curious, in terms of the 
banks and the diversification of banks. And I know Silicon Valley Bank often locked people in to lock clients in as like you had to be, you had to be with SVB. Uh, and that exclusivity is a really interesting component of this. So I'm curious what you're recommending going forward here as we're recording this on Monday afternoon, what you're, what you're recommending to folks as to their bank diversification. Are you recommending two, three banks or what, what is the strategy there? And I know you largely deal with seed, series A, series B companies. So earlier stage companies, what's the recommendation for just their diversification with their banking? Let me take a start of the crack at that. I just want to say how absurd it feels to I mean, both Kirby and I are early stage investors. Like our biggest concern is usually like, you know, is this company building something that people even care about? Right. These, at least for me, these questions of banking diversification, who do you even bank with? were just a non-issue because you're dealing with like more pressing existential crises of like, is there even a business here or are we just lighting money on fire? Um, not thinking about the, the possibility that your bank is the one that's actually doing it. Um, I'd say in, in our case, I think it's very clear at this point that you need at least two banks. One of them should probably want to be one of the two big to fail banks. We know the problem with those banks is that they're going to be very difficult to work with. You're not going to get their attention. So right now it feels like you should find, and then again, this is fluid. You should have one of those more nimble regional banks who understand how you work and you should have one or two other banks and one of those banks should be a central too big to fail bank. But I think what is really going to be telling is what happens over the next several weeks about how, how do we view uninsured deposits? What happens to these regional banks? And so it's just a completely fluid situation, but you know, it, it is it is multiple. And honestly, right now, it has just been about optionality. So many companies are opening bank accounts at like five different places because, you know, the advice was you need an account somewhere else opened as quickly as possible if you were at a regional bank or if you were at SVB, which obviously is one of those. And so just open as many as possible, whichever you get the first, you know, <laughs> you get the first numbers from, wire to that and we'll figure the rest out later. First of all, we're seeing folks proactively move into money markets or, you know, custodial or sweep accounts at larger banks through the smaller banks. And keep in mind, I, I'm just a I'm just a humble English major with no finance training. So, uh, you know, I'll get out of my depth quickly and none of this is financial advice and I'm probably getting it wrong. But one of the best emails I got was one of our founders who's raised the most money. And he said, we're in a bond ladder. <laughs> like we don't, have, we don't have any money in the bank. And I'm like, great. Um, uh, so seeing folks, you know, start to, but seeing folks start to deploy some of the recommended, uh, cash management strategies, uh, that put you in position to have more likelihood of recovery via you know, federal insurance. I think Aviel's right. Like the other banks, even if they're not the big four, you, you could sort of take for granted, you know, how, how easy Silicon Valley bank was to work with just on simple things like getting wires in and out. I mean, I had a call with our back office provider today, and I was talking about the fact that we're going to set up accounts for every entity under, you know, under our fund. We're going to set up accounts at one of the big four in addition to the banks that we already use. And our back office uh, team leader was like, well, that's great. But basically, she was like, don't ask us to wire anything for you because they won't let us. And so it goes back to sort of the just the, the the sheer administrative burden of you know banking with a giant bank if you're a startup 
or, or a small VC, which is kind of a startup in its own right, it's unwieldy. But I also think in this market, especially like you've seen some folks like JP Morgan basically hire SVB's entire staff, you know, over the last two years, like they, they got a lot of talent that knows our market, that knows technology, that knows what they're doing. I think JP Morgan wants to be in this business. It may not be as easy to work with out of the gate, but I think there's a desire to be in the technology banking business. I don't think that we're going to be in some desert, but there'll probably be a, a, a period of adjustment. Another thing that's happened here that I think really only started dawning on me today because it was just, you know, how were we so unprepared? There's, there's obviously, you know, the realization that, you know, with debt lines, you're forced to just have one bank and things like that. But, you know, especially for seed and series A companies, there were multiple things happening at once here, which we were in a money is free. You get, you know, there's no interest rate. Don't, why are you even thinking or bothering about your banking? You know, it's just more about how do I hit these growth numbers and I get my next raise done. Um, and that started falling apart over, over the past year. And, you know, there were several companies, those that were later stage that started being much more thoughtful about what are we doing with our cash? Because we can, we can earn real yield on, on this that matters, but the seed and series A companies, you're sitting there being like, I still don't have product market fit. If I'm in B2B, my sales cycles have sort of fallen to shit. Um, I don't know if I can get bridge capital. I don't know what to do. Um, so this was, it was just like a thing that you would never consider, but, but realistically thinking about how interest rates had had changed there, there is in hindsight, a strong argument that everybody should have been thinking about leveling up their, you know, treasuries and their sophistication in terms of how do we manage cash. Um, but there was just so much existential risk about what do we do if we can't get our next raise that folks didn't prioritize that. And you're suddenly sitting here with, I have one bank. Um, I have all this cash. I'm probably not even earning interest on it. I'm not even doing things that are even remotely sophisticated in terms of just basic things like sweep accounts and things like that. Um, and I think that exacerbated the problem here because people were just set up in such a, a devastatingly bad structure for this specific type of failure. How many of your companies have moved to other banks at this point? And how many are just kind of sitting with the status quo? And of your portfolios, Kirby, you said you're at, what, 60-plus companies? And Aviel, I don't know where you're at. We're, we're, about, we're about half half SB, SVB. Oh, about half of your portfolios with SVB. Yeah. And how, about how many portfolio companies do you have, Aviel? Active, it's about 65. About 65. So those 30-plus companies that were at Founders Co-op, how many of them are still kind of just currently sitting in the status quo? And how many of those 30 now have at least one different bank set up as of today? Everybody either has an account set up or it will be set up by tomorrow. Um, I would say the vast majority already have them set up. Of those 65, more than half of them have multiple accounts and got their cash out. So I would say this was one of those scenarios where it was closer to like a quarter um, of folks were in that that much trickier position of just being an SVB. Um, but I, I'd say, let's say as of tomorrow, there's there's nobody that does not have multiple banking relationships and their money spread across multiple banks. Kirby, what about with you? It's harder for me to say. I don't write the same size checks as Aviel. So uh, oftentimes we're not getting the same level of information from portfolio companies. I could say we're pretty close with the ones that have raised capital downstream and probably the same numbers. And what do you think is going to happen here to the SVB assets. And why do you think we haven't seen, as you mentioned, a JP Morgan Chase, which has been gobbling up talent and does want this market? 
Why haven't we seen them emerge with a bid? And with, will the federal government even allow an acquisition bid, do you think, of these assets? Because it would be consolidating power and some pretty prestigious clients in one one basket. I'm just curious why we haven't seen anything develop there. My my layperson's understanding is that there's the, the Neal Act, which is prevents banks that are too big to fail from acquiring failing banks for somewhat obvious reasons, I guess. But that's, again, layperson. Um, and that's probably something I saw over the weekend. Um, take it with a grain of salt. I just saw something come across the wire as we're doing this podcast about uh, PE firms making bids. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's complicated. I think there's a lot of unwinding to do. And I think it's hard to really determine the book value until the next couple of weeks shake out. Um, but, well, it seems like that book value is declining pretty rapidly based on right. the, the numbers you just gave me. If most of your clients are fleeing, may you know, the, the asset is deteriorating, right? But I'll say this. I was on a call with about, about 80 other venture capital managers earlier today. And the sentiment there was, you know, actually kind of interesting. There were some folks saying they didn't even bother to kickstart the wires that didn't go out last week from SVB because their money's good at SVB right now. I mean, it's, it's 100% backstopped. That's anecdotal. But hey, we have we have a couple dollars in change with SVB still as a fund from our first fund. And uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not screaming to get it out right now because it's, it may be safer there than at um, some other banks. No, I mean, it's, it's a great point, right? Which is that like, if you're an FRB right now, you, you feel an IM, I'm wavering between feeling confident and less secure than if my money was actually in whatever the SBB entity actually is currently. It, it, I, I'm the same. I'm in the same place. I put I put a wire in last week to get from SBB to my FRB accounts, and now I'm happy it didn't go through. <laughs> and and FRB for those who don't know, First Republic Bank, which has been torched uh, here recently, correct? Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you want to be in the bank that, that they've already publicly said we're going to backstop everything, or do you want to be in the bank where they've said we'll backstop most most banks and yours hasn't gone under yet? Right. I mean, it's a it's a truly absurd scenario. The amount of things that are going to unfold over the next several days, I think, are are everything. And to go back to the question about like the attractiveness of the book, like I think there are real questions about the attractiveness of some of the venture debt lines that SBV has been uh, doling out. Like, I think someone should want the clients, but. I mean, the, the whole venture world has gotten smacked over the past year. We're a lot less attractive than if, if this was happening a year ago. And in terms of, I know there's conversations that are going on. I think, you know, Kirby's point, I've heard very similar things about what's legal and what's not legal. But but let's be real. Like, we exist in a capitalist environment. If I'm going to, if I'm going to buy a distressed asset, I want to buy it at its most distressed moment. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are circling around waiting for what is the max distressed moment that I can get this this uh, this book of business. And I, I'm a little worried that the fact that we haven't seen those bailouts is a signal that we're not there yet. Yeah, we have a lot more to unpack here, as you're saying. Uh, we're speaking to Aviel Ginsberg of Founders Co-op and Kirby Winfield of Ascend, two Seattle venture capitalists. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into what's happening with venture debt and I also want to ask Aviel how he actually completed a wire transfer this week to do a fundraising deal. So we're going to dive into that right after we come back from the break. 
Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook, and we're joined today in a special GeekWire podcast, given the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, by Aviel Ginsberg, the co-founding managing partner of Founders Co-op, and Kirby Winfield, a partner at Ascend. So before we went to the break, guys, we were talking a little bit about the venture debt market. And this is a interesting situation to say the least. And let me try to explain how I understand it. And then you can correct me if I'm wrong. But oftentimes companies, when they raise venture capital, they'll they'll take in, let's say $10 million in, in VC money, but they'll layer on a loan from Silicon Valley Bank, let's say for another one or $2 million. So more of a traditional loan that sits on top of that that uh, venture capital fundraising event. And Silicon Valley Bank was the number one provider of those loans to venture-backed companies. And it seems now that that business is really in flux. And we're confused here on the GeekWire editorial team, what's happening in that market? What happens to that money? Are those loans still valid? Um, Spencer Rosgoff, the, the former CEO of Zillow and an active angel investor, tweeted earlier today on Monday that the venture debt market is essentially dead. He's saying that that money's frozen. You're not going to get access to it. What's going on here as you understand it? Because this is something we've been grappling with on our team, trying to figure out, because this essentially is extra money that these startup companies were thinking that they were going to have access to. And so if you're operating with $10 million rather than... 12 million, your product development plans, your hiring plans, everything is a little bit different. So is my understanding of that correct? And if it is, what's happening in this market? The structure of this stuff is basically you you get your venture deadline, but basically you, you give them warrants in your business, and then you have the option to draw capital within, say, like a 12-month period um, with some payback period and with some interest. And so it's very, it's been very, very common for companies to just get these types of instruments for insurance. It's less common for companies to actually draw on them. But in the environment that we're in right now, a lot of people have built their 2023 plans on needing to call those lines because they're worried about their ability to raise follow-on venture. And they're actually looking to use those lines to help drive them to a path of profitability um, or even, you know, a place where they're more attractive if they're not a profitable um, for more attractive, you know, venture rounds. You know, obviously nobody wants a down round. But I think we're going to be seeing a lot of those. Um, so it's, it's been this instrument that that folks have had at their disposal. So I have some, some recent data. Um, and my understanding currently is that if you have a line that you have called, um, it's not getting clawed back. Uh, however, if you have a line that you have not called, you are almost certainly out of luck. It's really going to depend on, is there a buyer? And if there's a buyer, what do they do? One other thing that's interesting about these debt lines is that the bank always has an out. Like They can almost at any moment choose to say, repay me right now. So they were very trust-based instruments. So in a distressed environment, there is this concern of you know, what, what will happen if it's, if, it's, you know, if it's the U.S. government. Are they going to call it all back? Are they not? What is that going to look like? If it's a buyer, what are they going to do? And so it's a, it's a moment of flux. But my understanding right now is if you have that cash, it is it is yours and try to be optimistic. If you don't, you have very real reasons to be pessimistic um, as if that deadline wow. does not exist anymore. And I think, honestly, the, the hardest conversations I've been having over the past 24 hours 
have been with companies that have built their plans on those debt lines. So we've, we've sort of went from, you know, I'm worried that I don't have cash to make payroll to, okay, even if I'm fully bailed out, my financial model does not work anymore. What do we do? And that's what we're firefighting right now. So that could result in layoffs potentially because their plan isn't going to – they can't meet their plan based on the capital that's available to them. That, that is correct. And like, you know, I think Spencer was alluding to some of that. That, that is the, the real grenade in this, which is, you know, magically waving a wand and saying all depositors will get their money back does not change the fact that so many businesses have built their business model on venture debt existing, especially because of what has happened in the venture market and how much more difficult it's been to raise funding. So this is like a double whammy that is going to have reverberations throughout the ecosystem. If there's anything that I'm worried about, it's that. Avio, would you say, would you say, because my, my gut says this is probably a much bigger problem for companies that are actually much further along. Yes, yeah, it's, it's series, series A and above. Yeah, if not Series B and C, right? I mean, the more money you've raised, typically the larger your um, venture debt exposure is. Yeah, and usually the, your your debt line, you know, they'll take into account you know the actual revenue of the business, but they'll also look at how much venture you've raised, having the bank and quality of investors. So there's a lot of companies out there that fall into the category of we raised you know fifteen million dollars with no product on a sixty million dollar pre. And we have no path to profitability. No investor wants to take a down round. No one wants to bridge it. But because you have 15 million bucks, SVB was willing to give you a four to $5 million credit line. And you didn't want to take the pain now. So you built a 2023 through 2024 financial plan that included you using that debt line that they gave you. And that got you to a flat round or an up round. And guess what? That doesn't work anymore. Right. And so there are really two things going on. There are the depositors, and now that's backstopped by the federal government, and it's all in all likelihood that money, you raise $10 million, you have $10 million in cash that goes into your SVB account. That now, it, Most likely that is coming back to you, or at least it's the federal government is saying it's going to come back to you. Now, the time frame, we're not sure, but that seems to be coming back to you. The second issue we're talking about is the venture debt that we're – that's a very – as you said, a grenade in the room if there's companies haven't touched that uh, that line yet, they're in potential trouble in, in terms of accessing that. 100%. And some of the craziest conversations I had on Friday was with some founders. They had the deadline but hadn't called it, and they have no other banking relationship. And they're like, if I pull my money out, if I try to do this, I lose that deadline that I need. But I've had other founders where the conversation was, I think the right thing for me to do is call my deadline. Because I believe that, you know, this situation is so fucked that I'm going to lose the deadline no matter what. Maybe I can actually get the money <laughs> today or can trigger something contractually. And that puts me in a better spot because what's the downside of doing that? Well, you couldn't get anything on Friday. I mean, it was it was completely frozen. So I think that was unrealistic if they thought they were going to get their, their deadline <laughs> paid off in entirety. I have a company that pulled it off on Thursday. They actually got their deadline. Are you serious? Their SVP account before it got frozen. They got it all the money. Their whole deadline is now deposited in their SVP account, which was just unfrozen. Interesting. So I don't know what would, would happen, clawbacks, other stuff, but that's a real scenario. Wow. Wow. So the other thing I've read about is that if you did take venture debt through Silicon Valley Bank, that they would lock you into an exclusivity agreement with the bank which I'm wondering if that was causing more of the more of the problem here that it prevented somebody if even if they did want to diversify and get another bank they were unable to because they had a uh, 
the venture debt instrument with Silicon Valley Bank, and they were contractually locked into that agreement with them. How much do you think that was at play? I'm guessing the startup companies probably weren't going to be diversifying their bank, their banks anyway, but it does seem like that could lead to potential problems here. And I don't know, it just seems worrisome that you would have to... I think it's worrisome, but the startups, we, we are not who crashed the bank. We are not who ran the bank. Like, you know, in fact, like it's the people I feel the worst for are the smaller companies with deadlines in one account and and the multi-billion dollar companies that all had multiple accounts and all pulled everything out immediately. So, you know, to your point, I think going forward, it's 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 a real ongoing concern. I think it's it's just, I I could not be on a board of a company that was comfortable, like as a director, that was comfortable just having one account at this point. You know, it, it, I would prioritize no debt over that. And I think going back to what, you know, the, the tweets that Spencer had, I, I'm, I'm worried that venture debt has just gone in general. I've been concerned about that instrument for quite a while um, anyway. But I, I, I don't think that that you could be a director of a company and say it's in our best interest to have one banking relationship because X, Y, Z. That simple. Kirby, I want to ask you this. Uh, Kirby Winfield of Ascend. How has life changed from Thursday? I mean, that's a big change that that Aviel just mentioned. Like now he's going to make sure that there is diversification there. How how else has life changed, do you think, for you as a, as a board member to some of these companies, advisor to these startups going forward based on what's just happened? What are you going to do differently? We're definitely going to update our, uh, our startup toolkit on our website um, with a banking and treasury section. The same way that you know we advise that startups work with a cloud vendor that gives them you know gives them credits um, or the same way that we advise that they work with you know a reputable legal firm you know we'll now advise that they work with a diversified set of banks so I think so, so best practices are probably still evolving around that but certainly just just trying to build that into the cadence of you know when you're when you're like Aviel and I and, and you're writing that first check into a company as it's kind of going from an idea to a to a going concern, you have an outsized responsibility to that founder to try to help them, you know, set themselves up for success. And so, you know, I think that's one thing that's changed. I mean, I think as I kind of reflect, you know, I've alluded to this before, you know, this could, there could be a, a silver lining here for startups and for the venture markets as a whole. And I think that's this, look, the Fed's been raising rates consistently for a while and that has really depressed investors' appetites, both institutional and investors into venture funds and then venture funds to deploy. And you know, there's kind of a consensus that, hey, when the rates finally level off, we've got some certainty around a flat rate environment, you'll see people loosen up the purse strings. So there's a school of thought that says, well, the Fed was going to keep bumping rates until something broke. Well, something broke. It was Silicon Valley Bank. And I think there's cause to be optimistic that on the heels of this shaking out and the heels of, you know, a broader sort of banking adjustment and a return to confidence in the, in the system, that rates, I mean, they can't keep on pumping rates up after this. And so if that's the case, you know, do you see a environment in Q3 where, where investors are really excited to deploy, maybe with more confidence in a stable environment than they have had? in the last two years. And if that's the case, you know, we certainly both have a lot of companies that are going to be out raising money. And so that's the glass half full, I think, here is that, you know, maybe this was an event that, well, nobody wanted it to happen, 
something like this almost had to happen to get us to back into a place where you know people are more aggressively deploying capital into our companies. Well, I want to come back to that, but I want to get Aviel Ginsburg's thoughts here from Founders Co-op first. I'm personally feeling a little more pessimistic about things than that, but do you see that silver lining that that Kirby paints? We were trending in a direction that just looked untenable. Like the, the past six months have just felt like d- depressing and dark, like a, a drumbeat towards this is leading to really bad things. And then a really bad thing happened. And so I think it's moments like these that, you know, there's there's opportunities for change. There's opportunity for serendipity. Um, I, I think that it can go, I think what's going to happen is things are going to go one of two different directions much faster. We were on a <laughs> shit trajectory. And so I think it's either going to go to hell in a handbasket really quickly, or things are going to evolve in a positive way really quickly. And you know what? Like time is the most precious thing there is. So I, I welcome this because it, it, it'll bring change. Some people will adapt, some won't, but it's going to be different. And and I'm looking forward to that. So I, I guess simultaneously, I'm holding deep pe- pessimism while trying to be optimistic. Just to build off of that in a different direction a little bit, I do think the last couple of days have brought some real clarity to a lot of founders. And it's given investors an opportunity, which you rarely get after you write that first check. Like, I don't care what anyone says. You rarely as an investor get a check to see how founders are really reacting to the to the things that drive or disrupt their business or the things that are going to make them successful or not. You just don't get to see it. Um, and this was this exogenous event where you got to see right away which founders were on top of their shit, which founders were communicating with their teams, which founders had a plan in place or the ability to create a plan quickly to make sure that they're they're, that to make sure that they, you know, live to fight another day and um, and put themselves and their companies and their employees and their partners in a position to be successful. And I'll tell you, like, so a lot of founders did, and it's it makes you feel really good as an investor when it's been two, three, four years since you write that first check, and you can see someone step up and, and you get that confidence. But that's the kind of person that can run a public company. That's the kind of person that can deal with the hardest hard things. Um, you know, you didn't see it from everyone. And and that's, you know, that's to be expected. And a lot of people are earlier in their journey. And so the stakes are lower or what have you. But I, I just, and I think the, the coolest thing about that is not that, oh, as investors, now we get to like re-rate our founders in our stack ranks. But it's more that the founders now know that about themselves. And their teams know that about them. That if, if the shit goes down, that they're ready to deal with it. And I think that that galvanizes teams um, and that, you know, there are, gonna, there are so many hard things you have to do as a founder to get to an outcome. Um, the more sort of signal that you can send to your, yourself and your team and your investors in the market that you're ready to deal with those things and overcome them, I think, you know, that's another silver lining. A lot of people were dying a slow death, not willing to accept the reality that shit has gotten a lot harder. Every part of your business from raising money to closing customers, like it has gotten harder. And this moment was, it fast forwarded reality. So a lot of people didn't die a slow death. And now we're dealing with with the reality of the situation. Yeah, it does seem like a really uh, galvanizing moment because I think you're right. We were in a period for last six, eight months where things were changing and not everyone was awake to the changes. And now 
based on this. I think everyone knows that the market is very, very different. And so maybe out of that, as you're saying, you're going to see stronger entrepreneurs, stronger companies formed. But the flip side of that, we're probably, you know, Aviel, you mentioned there are going to be down rounds. There's going to be some pain here. There was already going to be, but yeah. I think this is more of an acceptance of like, well, that's better than my bank losing all of my money because um, I've experienced that feeling now. <laughs> really well said. That's really, it, re- it totally reframes things. For the founders, like, like forget the investors, but for the founders who have been kind of hanging on saying, well, I can't take structure on my next round or I can't like. Your bank lost all of your money. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I, lest, lest we sound too, uh, too gleeful about uh, the comparative nature of, a, of a, a favorable valuation versus losing all your money, we're not. But this is something I've heard from, you know, and I'm sure Aviel's heard from, you know, later stage investors for the last two years, at least the last year and a half, which is basically they're like, yeah, we're not writing checks because founders just don't understand that the reality has changed. And there's no more denying that. Where do you think we're at with this going forward? Do you think the federal government stepping in has curbed things? Or do you think this is just the first domino and we're going to see continued dominoes falling here? And that will continue to spread like a contagion? I thought, I'm, I don't know that I'm smart enough to answer that, but I will say as I was surprised today. I mean, and I'm a little bit, I, I felt naive now looking back on the sense of relief I felt yesterday and then seeing what happened in the markets today. And that has me pondering what are the things here that I don't know, and it, it has me has me worried. So I don't. I I'm trying to figure out what I think is going to happen. Um, I haven't reached that, but I've reached the point of clarity of I think there are some more fairly significant impacts that are forthcoming, but I just don't don't yet know what they know what they are. <laughs> I operate at the very very beginning of company creation, and you know we're talking about you know, these venerable banking institutions that have been around for, you know, decades and decades and, and trying to understand, you know, over the course of 48 hours, what, you know, bank balance sheets need to look like and loan to deposit ratios and, you know, how, how you uh, go out and secure more, more loans to balance out your deposits and off book. And uh, what, I'm not going to be an expert in that, but it does feel, I mean, it just, it does feel at 10,000 feet, like the banks that have been in trouble can't be the only banks with those attributes. I don't know, the thing you got to be careful is anyone who's trying to tell you this is what's going to happen is because they're trying to sell you something. And anyone who's telling you that this is it, it's going to be fine, um, is trying to keep control of something. Like I, I think there there are certainly more dominoes to fall. Um, we know venture debt is going to play a part of that. We know there's significant risk about can regional banks exist in this environment without them? How do startups actually operate? How do they get lines of credit? Like, yeah, it sucks. Sounds like SVB did some risky stuff, but you know what? Startups are crazy risky, and SVB was one of the few banks that would actually meet them part way to let them do the things to to create the future. And what happens with that gone? Um, and I think these these are areas that are are big unknowns that are going to have meaningful impacts. And I certainly hope the solution is that not that innovation is set back by a decade, but but it's going to be really fascinating to see the the places that that gets plugged in. The one thing I will say is I definitely do not believe that. This is now crypto's moment and the rise of, you know, deregulation, other shit. Like all of those folks are actually trying to fucking sell you something. And it's their NFT that's worth no fucking money. Hey, did you, are you looking at my OpenSea account? My NFTs are worth at least <laughs> three cents on the dollar. Aviel, you mentioned being surprised by kind of your emotional roller coaster here. It was there specific things that kind of have surprised you. 
Well, I mean, it's 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 trying to to guide founders, give the best advice. And I, I just like yesterday yesterday evening felt like such a relief after a really traumatic period of time, like just being in fight or flight mode for several days. And again, like the fight or flight mode I'm in is very tapered in comparison to what you know founders who had no ability of making payroll on Monday felt like. Um, but it was just this great sense of relief of like depositors are backstopped, we're gonna be okay. Um, and and just my brain, I think I even, you know, think Taylor reached out to me asking for thoughts. And I was like, man, I am not in a position to give you thoughts right now. I'm I'm just I'm just relieved. Um, and I think that was it was so cathartic for everyone, at least for me, that I went to sleep um not panicked about the morning. Not as panicked as I should have been, at least. Yeah, that's Taylor Soper, Geekwire's managing editor. Uh, well, I'm glad you're talking to us now and you've had a, a few moments to reflect. Very much appreciate uh, the perspective from from both of you. Abiel, I did mention before the break that you actually did wire some money and made an investment in this climate, which just sounds kind of crazy to me. So can you walk us through how that happened? I mean, li- literally, I've been talking with a company for a while, um, sent them the signed term sheet on uh was a safe so not term sheets it's safe on friday um they accepted and countersigned last night and sent it out as two wires from frb and only one of them have gone through i I will say it, it did feel absolutely ridiculous like negotiating terms drawing up that safe sending it over in the middle of all this but it felt really good last night to to be part of you know the the spice must flow like we, we can't turn this whole thing off. There's great founders building great businesses and you know they they deserve to be able to lean in and build their business. And this was one company that had some amazing opportunities and the, the timing of the capital actually mattered in terms of them being able to do certain things on the business front. So yes, I, I literally closed a, a deal last night and half of the money has made it as of about 15 minutes before this uh, podcast. And I haven't checked my mail during it, but we have a back and forth because the other wire has just gone into the ether and we're trying to figure out where, where the hell it is. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a safe, that's a simple agreement for future equity uh, type of an investment instrument. I mean, this does get to the point and your, your, your point is well taken that, you know, the, the band must march on here, but like, it does still seem that things are going to be pretty frozen here. I think that's an exception, obviously. <laughs> um, and and Kirby, I'd like your viewpoint too. Like, are things just dead? Are, are are things just completely frozen, shut down? Deals are not getting done. When do we get them restarted? So I I, I committed uh, I committed to a new deal on Friday, um, Friday afternoon, and you know it's a company we've been you know tracking. And it's a founder I've known for a long time, and it was time to commit. Committing is different than wiring the money, though. It's just you know, the, the mechanics of it might be difficult. That's an interesting point you bring. It's not. It's not different at all to me. Uh, I've never. I've never committed to a deal and not wired the money. And uh, that's you know, that's seventy deals and counting. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. I think the only difference was the absurdity of doing the wire, but there's no difference between doing yeah. it, you know, a few days later or or not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Look, Avial lives on the edge. I uh, I still have all my hair for a reason. <laughs> Uh, uh, that money's not going out, um, this week, but, uh, but no, I mean, I I think the point is that there's no, there's no stopping deployment. I like, we have a, we talked about fiduciary duty earlier. Like we have a duty to our investors to source and and find and choose and fund the best founders in this market who are going to create the biggest outcomes. And there's absolutely no data that would suggest that that 
founders that we meet this week or the week after are going to be any less likely to create the outcome than founders that we met a week before. That said, like the consensus is if you're pitching a new deal, maybe don't do it this week. Maybe don't ask for the warm intro this week. Maybe just maybe just wait till next week. Uh, but I don't think anyone's thinking beyond that there's some sort of deep freeze. And, and hey, look, like us, us investors, like, you know, the way that our brand works, you're always looking for that unique opportunity, you know, not, not, not necessarily like, you know, that deal, but like that, that person who sees some opportunity and you don't want to miss it. And, and you know what, like we, we've been talking about depositors and a little bit about like, you know, the venture deadline, but there's so many other debt instruments that SVB was offering and other banks are offering that, that have now disappeared. And there's, there's a lot of opportunity for early stage startups to gain some ground on incumbents who are hurt by this as well. So it's like just putting your head in the sand and being like, there's, there's too much volatility. I shouldn't do anything. Also feels like a huge, huge mistake. This feels like an and scenario, which is like, I need to add another six hours to the day. I need to be, I need to have this top of mind and I need to keep doing the rest of my job. But you know what? No matter what, like founders are already working around the clock. I, I can work a little harder. We've got this. Yeah. Well, Aviel and Kirby, thanks for your time today. Any key takeaways before we wrap here? I mean, I mean, I'm speechless. I mean, and I've never heard You're speechless. speechless, but like, <laughs> the, I, I think, I think the takeaway is, you know, I think we need a week. Um, th- there needs to be some time to let things settle out. I think we need to be measured. I think founders need to be measured. I think we spent the last four days just completely whipsawing, like reacting to every, every new piece of information, praying and hoping it was going to be a decent outcome. And, and I think, companies were kind of rewarded for acting swiftly. And now I think the time for that has passed and there's a time for a really measured approach and a thoughtful approach to sort of moving forward from a cash management perspective. Um, so I think that for founders, that would be my parting thought for founders is just don't, you don't, you, you don't need to make any decisions today unless you're, unless you've got payroll issues, in which case, you know, make them yesterday. Yeah. And I built on that. Like, I mean, I, I you know spent a lot of time working closely with Amazon and and this is one of those moments that I I really think about evaluating you know two way doors. I don't think that this is a moment to be walking through one way doors because I think that 90% of the information you need you you have the wrong information right now or it could change tomorrow. Um yeah. but you also can't do nothing. Um and so it's think about what are those places that I have some control and I can, you know, iterate or back out of this decision that I'm making and spend my time on those things. Don't, don't riff 40% of your company tomorrow. Right. <laughs> well, this is great stuff. Kirby, I follow you religiously at Kirby Winfield on Twitter. Aviel's very easy to find on Twitter. It's just at Aviel. Make sure you're tracking these guys. They are providing great perspective all along as we as we navigate this all together. Kirby Winfield, Aviel Ginsberg, thanks for joining the GeekWire podcast this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links to all of our coverage of the Silicon Valley Bank implosion. I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.